Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Okay, so let me have you open up 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I, I want to share a word with you. The title of the message is Tar for Mortar, which, come, which comes from Genesis 11 that we looked at last week. And I just uh, couldn't, cannot get away from the thoughts and the um, uh, ponderings of my heart that the Lord was speaking to me from last week. And so I just want to kind of pick up where we were. We looked last week, if you remember, in Genesis chapter 11, we, we looked at the Tower of Babel. And I talked with you about the difference between uh, bricks and stones and some things. And so I want to draw on what I shared last week, what the Lord had put on my heart, and just expand on that. The title of the message, as I said, is Tar for Mortar. And the first thing I want to do is look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and talk about living stones. Living stones. So look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll read verses 4 through 10. It says, In coming to him... As to a living stone. So who, who is the first living stone? It's Jesus, right? Because he is the living stone. As to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones. So you are living stones. We are living stones. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have come to him, then you are a living stone also. You also, as living stones, are being built up. So you're building material for the house of God, as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you are the outward form of the house, just like this building has an outward form. There are things that you can see that are the structure of this building, but you are not only the outward form of the house, you are that because the church is made up of of people who live in flesh and bone bodies. And so we are the outward form of the church, but you are also the living priesthood, the living uh, form of the church from the inside, the spiritual form of the church also. So we're called to offer up spiritual sacrifices, which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, and then quote from Old Testament, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense." For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you, so you see, there's a division made between you and those who do not believe. But nobody gets away from Jesus. Jesus is either the cornerstone of your life, or he's the stumbling stone over which you fall to your doom. And in verse 9 it says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him 
who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, so that you may proclaim. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we see that Jesus is the living stone, that we are living stones in him, that Jesus, though he is rejected by men, he is choice and precious in the sight of God. To be choice, it means to be chosen. So if there's a pile of stones and you choose one because to you it's the most beautiful and the most valuable, then that's a choice stone, right? Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Every one of us might come up to the same pile and given a free choice, choose a different stone because we want different things in life. But this is not something chosen by men because the choice of men is, is fickle, capricious, changes all the time. What's popular today is not popular tomorrow. But this is actually rejected by men. But this is God's choice. God has chosen him. And the only choice that matters is God's choice. So you need to see yourself with the, through, the, through the lens of God's love for you that he has chosen you personally in Christ Jesus. Because if you've come to the living stone, who is choice and who is precious, then it says that this value of Jesus, it says it is for you. He projects that same value onto you because you are together with him, because you are a stone in his house. As I told you many times, you can walk around this building where there's a lot of bricks, but if you pay attention to this building and the office building there, uh, you'll see a lot of really interesting stones set into the bricks. I wish I knew the history of that. Maybe Walt and Pauline know that. But I always kind of imagine that they probably said to people when they were building this, hey, bring your favorite rock from your rock collection at home or, or something like that. And because there's such a variety of them, that's almost like, it's, and they're kind of just willy-nilly thrown around different places. And uh, it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's really beautiful. And each one of those stones set into the walls here, uh, you know, for eons, uh, they, they, they must have laid under the earth and nobody had ever seen them or ever known anything about them. There was no particular value to them because they had never been chosen. But one day they were chosen and that gives them value. And so they have value as a part of this building, as a part of this structure. And that's a natural example that shows us a spiritual truth of who you are. You have been chosen in Christ Jesus and you are living stones. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And in verse 1, it says, 1 Corinthians 10, 1, uh, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. It's talking about, Paul's talking about the Exodus when they came out of Egypt. They passed, they were under the cloud, the presence of God, and they passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Moses, the value of Moses, the choice that God made when he chose Moses, and he chose him out from before his, his birth even, and when he was born, the book of Hebrews tells us that they looked on him and saw that he was a beautiful child. 
And that word beautiful there doesn't mean the same as every parent thinks their kid's beautiful, because they, they do, and that's normal, and that's the beauty that a parent always feels for their child. But that word beauty means that they recognize God's choice and God's hand on that child, on Moses. And you'll remember that his mother nursed him before they ever gave him up. She first nursed him, and we saw this with Hannah and Samuel, and then they put him in the little ark, right? And, and you know the rest of the story. He was drawn out of the water, and so thus the name, the name Moses. So Moses was chosen, and in Moses they were all chosen. They were all baptized uh, into Moses, it says, in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food, Right here on this table today, we have spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, the blood of Jesus here for us. For they were drinking, listen to this, from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So it's going to go on to say, and we know this from other scripture, that as they were baptized into Moses, so we are baptized into Christ Jesus. And the superiority of Christ over Moses is shown in the Hebrews that we have this better covenant. And that the baptism in Moses was actually just a precursor to the baptism in Christ. But what I want to point out to you, it says that they all drank from the same spiritual rock. Well, so in, in the Exodus stories, they're going through the wilderness. There are two times when they drink from a rock. And these two rocks are in completely different locations, Okay. And the first time they drink from a rock, um, Moses is told to take his staff and to strike the rock. And when he strikes the rock, then a spring of water opens up in that rock and water comes out and all the nation is able to drink from that, that water. The second time, Moses is commanded to speak to the rock. And that's uh, symbolic and is a type and a shadow of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And that we do not crucify him unto ourselves again. We don't trample his blood under our feet again. That today, having received Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, he, having been crucified 2,000 years ago, does not need to be crucified again. And you don't need to crucify yourself to get on God's good side. You just make Jesus the confession of your life. Whoever will confess him as Lord and believe in his heart, so Moses was commanded to speak to the rock the second time. But you know the story of Moses, he, he failed. And he struck the rock because he was really angry with the people. And God still gave them the water, but Moses was punished for that and was not able to go into the land of promise. But here's something interesting in 1 Peter, I mean in 1 Corinthians. Even though those rocks were in two completely different locations, it says that that rock was actually Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, because he keeps talking about spiritual food, spiritual drink, that he's not talking about the material rock was, was, was Jesus, right? He's talking about the spiritual picture here. But, he's, but nonetheless, Jesus was giving them that water through the rock. And he says that that rock was following them through the wilderness. That's a really interesting picture, this rock walking and following them through the wilderness and then setting down there, okay, talk to me, I'm going to give you some water now. And wherever you go, the provision never ends. And that's life in Jesus Christ. That he is, not only are we following him, but he is following us. He never abandons us. We are living stones because he is a living stone. Not that long ago, Tanya was 
sharing uh, some messages that God put on her heart. And in Matthew 16, she was reading about when Jesus called Peter the rock, right? That you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And she pointed this out already, but I'm going to point it out again. It's in Matthew 16, 15 and through 19, where, where Peter makes his confession. And it's revealed to him that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus tells him that this revelation did not come to you from flesh and blood, but it came from my Father who is in heaven. And he said, I call you Peter, which in the Greek is Petros, and in the Aramaic, because sometimes this is used also, Cephas or Kephas, and that's used also in the New Testament. All these names, uh, Peter, which is Petros, and Simon is his actual birth name, right? And Kepha or Kephas or Cephas, depending on how you pronounce it, uh, is also used in, in the New Testament. But Jesus calls him, Jesus gives him a new name, right? He gives him a new name. And he gives each one of us a new name. It says so in the book of Revelation, that I will give him a new name. I will give him a new name. So he gives him a new name and he calls him the Petros. And then he says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And when he says rock, he then uses the word in, in Greek, it's written Petra instead of Petros. And many commentators throughout centuries have commented on this. Uh, one, one side of understanding this is that when Jesus looks at Peter, he calls him the stone, okay? Because that's what Petros means. It doesn't necessarily mean a little tiny pebble. It could be quite a large stone, but it's a stone. And when we use the word stone in English instead of rock, usually we're talking about something that is going to be used in building or is beautiful or we put it into jewelry. It has to do with, uh, most often we use that word when we're referring to a rock that we're actually using for something. We call it a stone, right? And we call diamonds stones when they're, when they're in, in a... Uh, well, okay, I guess people call them rocks too, but that's more slangy. But it's a stone. So in Greek, when Jesus uses this word, it in particular means a stone. But when he says upon this rock, he says the Greek word petra, which is the same word, but just a different form of that word. And that word means the bedrock, something that, a rock that does not move. A stone is a rock that moves. Uh, a bedrock is a rock that does not move. And so we see that Jesus is talking about himself, that I am this bedrock and you are the stone built upon me. And we know that in the book of Revelation, we see that the 12 apostles are the 12 foundation stones and the rest of the church is built upon them. And so we are living stones being built up on an unmovable rock of Jesus Christ. And he provides for us. He makes us precious. He gives us drink. He gives us meat. He is our provision. He is our all in all. And we are, in that sense then, a living building. We are stones that are like cells live in a living organism. We are all being cared for by Jesus Christ, who is the head and the foundation. Amen. So go with me now over to 1 Kings chapter 5. 1 Kings chapter 5, and I want to look at the temple that Solomon built. I'm just going to look at a few verses, but I'm just, you need to see this in 1 Kings chapter 5. And I'm just going to pick these verses 
out of the chapters here. And you can read them all in context if you want. But in 1 Kings chapter 5 and in verse uh, 17. By the way, when I preach and I do something like this, I actually do read the entire thing in context. I just know that it's not necessary for what the Lord wants you to hear right now. But in 1 Kings chapter 5 verse 17. So Solomon's building the temple. That's the context. It says, Then the king that Solomon commanded, and they quarried great stones, costly stones, to lay the foundation of the house with cut stones. So the foundation of the house of the temple, and in fact the entire temple, everywhere where there is stone, there are also stones and there are timbers. And everywhere where there is stone, uh, these great stones are being used. But the foundation of the house was made with stones that were costly and quarried. So these were, these were rare stones. These were stones that, stones that had to be quarried, they had to be cut, they had to be prepared. And then if you look at uh, chapter 6 of 1 Kings and verse 7, it says the house, while it was being built, was built of stone that was prepared at the quarry. And there was neither hammer, nor axe, nor any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built. I want you just to try to imagine, and we haven't got to the full description yet, we will in a minute, but try to imagine how expensive it would be for you to build even a simple house out of stones like this. That were so perfectly uh, engineered at the quarry. Number one, they're precious stones, they're not just, you know, some cheap, cheap uh, uh, granite that they polished up and made it look shiny. These are precious stones, and they are quarried, and they are engineered in such a way that when, you, when they bring it to your house, it just fits together like Lego. It just all goes together. Everything's perfect. The whole plan's laid out. You know, the little ones, the big ones, everything goes where it's supposed to go. Of course, that would be massively expensive. And it was massively expensive back then. And it was a great feat of engineering, and it was a great feat of kingmanship, you might say. And if you read the whole context, how Solomon had the wisdom, and even when he's talking to people that have building materials, like Hiram from Lebanon, who had all the best uh, timber, the best lumber in the world. And when he's talking to him, he just has a way of talking that just makes Hiram want to work with him. And he knows how to get everybody together, everybody energized, and everybody on the team. Why does Solomon know that? Well, if you read earlier, because God pours out on him a spirit of wisdom. Not because he was, you know, the best student in school. He might have been, but it doesn't say that. It says because God supernaturally pours out on him a spirit of wisdom. Because that's what Solomon asked for. That's what Solomon wanted. If you ask for the Holy Spirit... Your Father in heaven will give you the Holy Spirit. If you say to him, if you want me to have the Holy Spirit, then I'm, I'm okay with that maybe. You, you might never get the fullness of the Spirit in your life. But if you hunger and you thirst after righteousness, if you want the Holy Spirit to move and be active in your life, if you desire to prophesy and minister to other people, and you seek after the Word of God, and you want to be a, not only a hearer of the Word, but a doer of the Word, then he will pour out his Holy Spirit on you. He will bless you in this way. So Solomon had this wisdom, and he put this, this beautiful project together, and it says that at the building site, could you imagine somebody being able to build a day like this? I mean, there's no such thing. 
But at the building site, there was neither hammer nor axe nor any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built. Look at chapter 7. In chapter 7, verse 9, it says, it's still describing the, 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 the uh, building. This is talking about the inner court and the house part of the temple. But it says, all these were of costly stones, of stone cut according to measure, sawed with saws inside and outside, even from the foundation to the coping, and so on the outside of the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, even large stones, stones of ten cubits and stones of eight cubits. And above were costly stones, stone cut according to measure and cedar. So the great court all around had three rows of cut stone and a row of cedar beams, even as the inner court of the house of the Lord and the porch of the house. Okay, so let me tell you something. And we read about this in the Bible. When the second temple was built, all the people that were building it, and we're talking about Ezra and Nehemiah, those times, all the people that were building it, they complained about it because they said this is a cheap imitation compared to the, to the, to the temple of Solomon. And God told them that they're wrong, and he said the glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the first. And God looked through that second temple forward to see the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to see us. But they thought it was a cheap imitation. Now let me tell you something. I've never been to Jerusalem, some of you have, but you can go today to the Temple Mount and there are still great stones that are standing there that come from the time of the second temple and the remodeling that Herod did. And Herod made it pretty nice, but still, compared to Solomon's temple, it was shabby. So can you imagine how these stones stood for hundreds and hundreds of years throughout many wars and throughout great turmoil in Judah, these stones continued to stand exactly as Solomon had built them until the day that God appointed for Nebuchadnezzar to come and to utterly destroy that, that temple with fire. And you can imagine the kind of fire that had to be used to bring this down. This was a great house. Listen to what it says about these stones. I'm, I, hopefully you understand, I'm talking about you. Did, did you understand that? I'm talking about you. You're a living stone on which the house of Jesus Christ is built. Okay? You don't see yourself as great as God sees you, I promise. You don't love yourself the way God loves you, I promise. But you need to see yourself, especially be before we go on and look again at the tar, you need to see who God has created you to be in Christ Jesus. So you are these living stones. So these stones, it says that they were eight cubits and ten cubits. So we don't know exactly, but we're gonna, uh, we, we make this assumption that they were ten cubits in length and eight cubits square in height and in, in width. Okay. Now a cubit is approximately, it's the length from the elbow to the tip of the finger of a man's hand, of a full-grown man's hand. It's approximately 18 inches. So, if you have eight cubits, that's 144 inches, okay? So, how many feet is that? That's 12 feet, okay? So, how many yards is that? Three yards, right? Well, it's 12 feet, right? So, so you've got about a one-story building, right? You know, one story is approximately 10 feet. 
So you've got your house without the roof on it, if, unless you live in a two-story house, okay? And that's how high this thing is, and it's how thick it is. And it's longer than it is high and thick. It's 10 cubits long, so 180 inches long. One stone is like one small house in Yarrington. One stone, okay? Then it says these stones were three levels high. Okay? I mean, we're talking about something more glorious than the pyramids of Egypt. And yet the pyramids of Egypt still stand. Why? Because God never said to pull them down. Why? Because he never expected that much out of Egypt. Egypt wasn't his chosen people. But God said to pull this temple down because they had turned away from him and they had turned to false idols and away from God. So it's an amazing building. I want you to see that the people of God are joined to the Lord and the Spirit as one body. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says in verse 17, But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Have you joined yourself to the Lord? Think about it. Or have you just joined yourself to a church? Or have you just joined yourself to a group of people? Have you, in joining the church, in joining this group of people, have you joined yourself to the Lord? Whoever has joined himself to the Lord, it says he is one spirit with him. And then it says flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now I want to explain a couple of things to you. If you went up a few verses that I'm not going to read right now, and you read those, you would understand the context of what this word is coming to them. That they were going to temples of idols, even though they're Christians. And in going to temples of idols, they were joining themselves to prostitutes. That doesn't even necessarily mean that each one of them was doing what people do when they join themselves to prostitutes. But they were by going there, just by going there, by participating in the worship of idols, they were supporting the, the prostitutes because the prostitutes worked for the temple. The state made money off of them, just like it is today. And they were enslaved just like it is today. And the people saw that there was something, I preached a whole sermon on this, there was something religious and, and wicked in, this, in this, this, this thing, but the people didn't understand that. They thought it was beautiful, they thought it was great, and so they just kept going to the same old movies they always used to go to. Oh, did I say movies? Sorry. They just kept on doing the same thing that they always did, because that's what everybody in their culture does. That, I mean, that's literally what it's saying. And it's saying, don't you know that Two or one flesh, so if you join yourself to that, then you've joined yourself to that prostitute. Okay? And as proof that you didn't have to necessarily even actually do the things that they do with prostitutes, think of what Jesus said. If you even looked on a woman to lust, he said to his disciples, then you've already committed the adultery in your own heart. And the disciples were aghast <laughs> because that, like, means that we're all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Yeah, they have. But the free gift of God, 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you've come to Jesus, then you've come to him and you've been made one spirit with Jesus. So what do you do if you're one spirit with Jesus? You flee immorality. Notice it doesn't say you fight immorality. You just get away from it. Like Joseph running away from the house of Potiphar's wife. You flee the immorality. And then it says every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. So let me tell you something about this, and I don't have time to explain all this. But in this passage of Scripture, and Paul says this, he's quoting things from their letters. Okay? And in certain places, he quotes their letter, and then he gives an answer. So this is actually most likely, and most scholars all agree, that this is a quote from their letter. That they say, in other words, they say, every sin a man commits is outside of his body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. The word immoral, by the way, uh, uh, is, is from the, the, the verb porneo. You know what kinds of words we have from that. So what are they saying? The same thing people say today. It's my own body. I can do what I want with it. Isn't that what everybody says today? It's my body. I can do what I want with it. And so that's what they're saying. My immorality is my immorality. That's between me and God, Paul. Stay out of it. What happens in my bedroom happens in my bedroom. And Paul says, well, that's what you say. And that's what the world around you says. But do you not know that your body is actually the temple of the Holy Spirit? Because you came to the living stone. You came to Jesus. He is in you. And you have this Holy Spirit from God. And that means you do not belong to yourself. You are not your own. And Paul, in writing here in 1 Corinthians, uh, uh, in, in right, right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in just, just a minute, he's going to switch the teaching and he's going to teach on marriage. Okay? and getting married, and being widows, and all this teaching that comes in, in chapter 7. And notice what he says in, I'm just going to skip ahead a couple of verses, what it says in chapter 7, uh, verse 3. It, it says, um, the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Every, every time that I do marriage vows, I always put this in the marriage vows. It's a classic marriage vow. That I will... Fulfill the duties of a husband. But what a lot of people don't understand is actually has to do with um, marital relations. <laughs> and, and it says that the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife. It has not, not just to do with that, but it does have to do that, as shown by the next verse. It says the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Ooh, man, women do not like that one. And then men don't like the next one. Oh boy, men hate this more than women hate the first one. Likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So stop depriving one another. Get the pornography out of your house, out of your life, and stop thinking that your body belongs to you because it doesn't. If you're married, men, your body belongs to your wife. And if you're married, women, your body belongs to your husband. And if you're not married, and if you are married also, your body belongs to the Lord. You don't have the right over your own flesh, even. Well, that doesn't sound like what other people are saying. No, it's not what people are saying in the world. But people in the world are not chosen out. You are chosen 
You are choice and precious stones in the house of God. So this whole argument he uses and applies it to other areas of life. He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? For you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now let's take it one step further, because we're talking about living stones, right? Does not body also refer to the body of Christ? And is not Yarrington Vineyard Fellowship the body of Christ? And so we have to also understand this, that this is saying not only about my own personal body and my own personal uh, life in, in Christ, it is about that, but it's saying even more than that, and perhaps in the first place is what Paul is saying, because he keeps using the plural you everywhere in this passage of Scripture, is that you, Yarrington Vineyard Fellowship, you do not belong to yourself. You cannot just do everything you want to do. You belong to God. And God has order. And everything is decently and in order. This theme, as I said, is going to keep being developed in 1 Corinthians. When he talks about gifts of the Spirit, when he talks about the move of the Holy Spirit in the church, he'll come back to this theme and say that you cannot, you don't just belong to yourself, that the spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophets, and that if you're going to get up and preach, you're going to get up and prophesy, then expect that others are going to judge what you're saying, because you can't just do what you want to do. Everything has to be done decently and in order. He has order for wives. He has order for husbands. He goes into all kinds of rules, but everything comes back to the main argument. It's based on this. This body does not belong to you who are its members. The body belongs to him who is the head, who is the chief cornerstone, who is the architect and who is the builder of this body. So since we have been bought with a price, let us glorify God in Yarrington Vineyard Fellowship. Now go back to Genesis chapter 11, which is where we were last week. We looked at this story about uh, the Tower of Babel. And I want to read verses 1 through 4 again. Genesis 11 verse 1 says, Now the whole earth, we talked about all this last week, now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Really strong bricks is what they're making. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. The title of the message today is actually Tar for Mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach unto heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name, otherwise we'll be scattered abroad over the face of of the whole earth. So let me talk to you again about what we looked at last week with a little more detail. They used bricks instead of stones. We've been talking about stones for the past 20 minutes. They used bricks instead of stones. They used tar in, instead of mortar. So the word tar describes what we call bitumen or asphalt. It's did anybody notice we got a new street? Yeah. Finally. Woo! They just put the same tar down here on our street. The same thing they're talking about here. It's, it's asphalt. That's what it is. And it occurred at that time and in that area of the world, and still does, 
these things called tar pits. Whenever you learn about dinosaurs in school, they're always talking about tar pits. We have them in America too. We have them in Southern California, different places like this. So the, these are pets with bitumen in them, with asphalt in them. It's a naturally occurring petroleum-based fossil fuel. It, it occurs naturally. And they had those at that time. So why did they use tar instead of mortar? Well, here's why that's important. Because in using tar instead of mortar, number one, they used what they had at hand. Because it's interesting that in that area of uh, the plains of Shinar, archaeologists tell us that there are, there's no limestone. And where there's no limestone, there's no natural, uh, naturally occurring product, no natural resource that you can produce mortar with. So for them to get mortar, they would have had to actually work at it way harder than they had to work at it to get the bitumen. And then the other thing about it that was really important to them, you know what mortar is like, this basically mortar, right? You know, you can take a sledgehammer and just bust those bricks up if you want. And it's going to be hard to get them all cleaned off, but to separate them isn't going to be that difficult because there's mortar in there. But if they were sealed with asphalt, you think about how hard, how hard that would be to take that wall apart because it was a much more permanent and durable uh, sealant than the mortar. Now, you would think if there was going to be some spiritual example in here, it would be that God's happy they use tar because he wants us to be stuck together. But again, think of what they were sticking together. They were sticking together the works of their flesh. They were building in just exactly the way that the flesh always builds. In the flesh, man always builds with what he thinks is a permanent ceiling, with what he thinks is indestructible, with what he thinks is the best insurance policy I could ever have. These bonds are so strong it could never be destroyed. I've got everything. I've invested in this. I've invested in that. And I am ready for the future. And then pff, the perfect storm. Everything crumbles and everything falls. Right? So that's what they were doing. They were building with tar. So this is a fossil fuel. It's raw material that occurs naturally. But God wanted them to build with mortar. It says they use tar instead of mortar. So talk about mortar for a minute. So mortar is a product of limestone and water. In a sense, it's also from fossils. Uh, but the thing about mortar is it's a manufactured material. Okay? So try to understand this. They used manufactured bricks and naturally occurring tar to stick them together. But what God wanted is for them to use naturally occurring stones and manufactured mortar. Okay? And here's why. This is a spiritual example in this. And you'll see this in the temple, and you see this in what Peter's saying in the New Testament. We are living stones. Okay? But we are joined together by mortar. You have to work on it. God's love is there. It's the natural resource. The limestone occurs just as the bitumen. It also is made from decayed fossils and whatever, fossil fuel and all that stuff. I'm not an expert on that stuff. But you understand what I'm saying. It occurs in nature, and it's in abundance. I mean, there's tons of limestone in nature. You're never going to run short of mortar if you want mortar. But you have to work at it. Okay? God's love is provided for us. The Bible says in Romans that it's shed abroad in our hearts. 
But you know, and everything Paul's writing about there in 1 Corinthians, is that in order to make this work, for us to stick together as the building that Christ has built up, we have to work at our relationships with each other. I'm not talking about a work of the flesh. I'm talking about a work of the Spirit. We have to speak the words of the Spirit and work the works of the Spirit. We have to actually love one another. We're not just stuck together by Jesus so that we can never fall apart and nothing can ever happen to us. A lot of people think that. And we go on for 10 years in church thinking nothing could ever happen. And then here comes the perfect storm. Some COVID or some other thing. You know, some financial trouble. And people, husbands and wives are divided away that thought they would never be divided away from each other. Parents and children, church members, some offense comes and a bitter root takes, take, a bitter root takes root there in that place and it springs up and it just divides people away. And you know about this. You have to work at these relationships. But they use tar instead of mortar. See, here's the thing about the bricks that they were sticking together so permanently, okay? There's four things I want to point out about bricks. Number one, I talked about it last week. They are man-made. They are symbols of our flesh. They are man-made. They're made from our flesh. They're made from the clay of the ground. We're made from the clay of the ground. So bricks are man-made. But that's not all. The second thing I want you to notice about bricks, and again, take a walk around these properties, and you'll see the difference between bricks and rocks, that bricks are identical in appearance and size to each other. Now, I know we got used bricks on this building, and these days you buy used bricks, so they look like they're not identical because they're made to not look identical. But bricks, the kind they were making, and classic bricks, when they come out of the kiln, you know, they're all made with the same form. If they're not the same size, you're going to have a hard time building a building with them, aren't you? The whole purpose of bricks is it makes it easy to build. It's convenient and it works, okay? But they're all exactly the same size. Notice that in the kingdom of God, God doesn't go for that one size fits all thing. Every single one of you are different. And our unity is not based on our sameness, but it's based, and I hate this word because it's so misused today, everywhere, but it's still a good word. It's based on our diversity, that we are actually diverse. We are different from one another, but bonded by the Holy Spirit, brought together in bonds of love, in mortar of love. So they are, bricks are man-made. They're identical in appearance and in size. Here's another thing. Bricks are interchangeable. Well, don't people treat each other like they're interchangeable? Some people treat, I'll pick on myself. Well, just get rid of Pastor Kevin. We'll just go get another pastor. He's interchangeable. Everybody's interchangeable. And they're just cogs in a machine. But God doesn't see us that way. You're not interchangeable. There's nobody else that can take your spot. You're not interchangeable for God. Because you are alive, a living stone. You're not a dead brick. Bricks are interchangeable. And it make, absolutely makes no difference which order they go in on the wall, does it? Now, maybe you've got some designer mind and you're looking at how the shades go together. But as far as actually building the wall, it makes absolutely no difference which one goes in which order. They're completely interchangeable. And the last thing about bricks is they are not precious. They are cheap. 
and they are dispensable. And you can walk all over this town and find bricks laying around. There's a couple behind my house. I always think I'm going to pick them up and use them for something because I walk past them every day just about. And I think, what am I going to use them for? I don't need those old bricks. Then I walk the next day, well, maybe I want those bricks. No, I don't want those old bricks <laughs> because they're dispensable. They're cheap. They're, they're not valuable. If you drop one when you're up on a scaffolding building, you dropped a brick, and, and as long as it didn't fall on somebody's head, it just hit the ground and shattered, you're not going to cry about it, are you? But you're going to cry. Oh, you're going to cry if you lose your diamond wedding band and you can't find that little tiny diamond because that little tiny diamond is a stone, precious and cut, that's set there, that means something. Understand? A brick doesn't mean anything. I'm talking about you in Christ Jesus. You are not dispensable. You are precious. You're not interchangeable with others. You're not identical in appearance and in size. So how do you tell the difference between the Tower of Babel and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, some people think, well, a Tower of Babel, that's, you know, Garrington Vineyard Fellowship because they own these buildings here, and that's a Tower of Babel. We should be meeting in tents. We should be meeting out in the wilderness. We should be out there, outside these walls where all the people are gathered. No, that's not a Tower of Babel. Now, Garrington Vineyard Fellowship might be turning into a Tower of Babel. I don't know. But the signs of the Tower of Babel are not the physical buildings. The signs of the Tower of Babel is a place where you're going to find that people are not appreciated for who they are. Their gifts and their value is not appreciated because they're cheap building material. They're disposable. It'll be a place where people are interchangeable, where it doesn't really matter what order you go in or where you're set. It'll be a place where everybody's identical in appearance and size, obviously not physically, but spiritually. It doesn't really matter who you are, and where everything is just man-made. It's just the desire to make the church richer, or to have some kind of growth, or some, something like, like that. So if it's a church that's being built up on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're not going to be interchangeable. And that means that sometimes you're going to feel like these people are too bossy. They keep wanting me to do this and say that I need to be doing this, but I don't want to do this. I want to do that. Or there's too much, too, too much uh, I don't know, uh, too much striving for order. We just want to hang out and just have some flowers and Jesus and whatever. I don't know. You know, just this Jesus revolution kind of thing or something. And I'm not knocking that movie. This is actually a pretty good movie. But um, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, you know, if, you, if, if, you've, if everything is really lax and there's no uh, uh, demand, maybe that's not the right word, there's nobody asking anything from you, then maybe that's just because you're at, they actually, it's a Tower of Babel where you're just a brick and we can get rid of you and get somebody else in your place anyway. But if it actually is important to God that you're precious, that means he actually has a setting for you. And he wants you to be set in that one special place where you need to be. And then, like any good housekeeper, the Lord might come along after a certain time and say, okay, now I want you to be set over here because I've got a new plan here. We're going to do something different. And we're going to use you over here. So don't be surprised at the things that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians as you're looking and studying about the gifts of the Spirit, that God actually wants things to be decently in order. In order. 
He wants it decent. Listen to this. He wants it decent and in order because he actually sees you as precious stones. You're actually valuable to him. The church actually matters to him. Do you know that Yarrington Vineyard Fellowship, just, just as a church, we could change the name of the church. And someday you might show up and the sign might not say Yarrington Vineyard Fellowship. It might say just Yarrington Church or something different. The name doesn't matter. We could paint the buildings, change the buildings around. We could build a new building. That, that doesn't matter. But if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is made up of living stones, that's, that's all of us. If we are scattered and if we are lost, then please don't think that God has just some other church that could take the place of your and Vineyard Fellowship. Because he doesn't. We're not dispensable. We're actually important to God. This church is important to God. And that means that God, because the church is important, because the church is precious, he takes it very seriously when we walk away from our first love and use tar instead of mortar and try to stick things together the way we want to stick them together instead of walking in the love and the unity of the Spirit. So I'm going to give you a couple more verses. I'm going to end. Look at Acts chapter 2. Actually, I have more than this, but I'm going to give you a couple more. Acts chapter 2. I have a lot more. Maybe I'll continue this next week. Acts chapter 2 and in verse 1. It says, when the, day, when, excuse me, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house and they were, as they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And we looked at these uh, verses last week. Here, here's what I want to tell you this week. I want you to see the unity that the Spirit bring, gives to them. The unity that He gives to them. It says, they're all together in one place. All together in one place. It says, uh, they, were, they were all sitting together. It says, um, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they all began to speak. So there's a unity of the Spirit, and then in that unity, there's given a diversity of tongues. That the unity is in the diversity, and the diversity is in the unity. I don't really know how to explain this to you except to tell you this. That's what we call beauty, okay? We don't think something is beautiful because it's all symmetrical and exactly the same. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever seen a perfectly symmetrical tree where the right side and the left side were exactly the same? Yes, probably you have on a child's drawing. Okay? And you say, it's beautiful, but you think, that's terrible. It gives you no impression of 3D at all. It's just, you know, child's beginning drawing. Drawing. Have you ever seen a person where their ears and their eyes and their nose and everything was perfectly symmetrical on their face? Again, child's drawing. Have you ever known someone, a, fa a famous person or someone that's not famous, that you actually, you know, maybe you're not attracted to them like you want to be with them, but you and most people think that woman is actually beautiful or that man is very handsome. And, and yet the fact of the matter is, you know, if you 
took, like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what, what men do, men think are handsome, you know, like, like a sort of, like a, a Harrison Ford or a John Wayne kind of character or something like that in these movies. But if you actually, you know, took their actual faces, well, there's, you know, they're not, there's nothing symmetrical about that. This is what, what we call beauty. It's when there is diversity, when there is a variation, and yet it's unified into a single theme. That's a beautiful picture. That's a beautiful composition. That's a, a, a beautiful uh, interior uh, decorating scheme. It's something I'll tell you, especially when it comes to clothing and interior decoration and things like that, I always ask my wife because Tanya has a feel for that. She really does. And maybe I do on a little level, but compared to her, no, absolutely not. So I mean, before I even walked out today, I said, sorry, I know I look stupid, but I'm in a hurry this morning. I kind of like this shirt. And she said, no, you look fine. But I could hear in her, fine. It could have it been a lot better. But, but, but um, I don't know. You, you have this image on the inside of yourself that's not really true. But, but it's what you think about yourself, so that's okay. But So you have the unity of the spirit and the diversity of tongues. Now, I'm not going to open this up this week because so I don't have time. Maybe we'll get to this. But I, I want to get to it still is looking at the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And we see the same thing. That it says that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every person. Do you have the manifestation of the Spirit today? It's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every person. And the manifestation is spelled out for us there. There are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the chief among them that you would seek after is that you would prophesy. That you would have the word of God and be able to share that word with other people. That you would have boldness as a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that this manifestations of the Spirit are given to every person. So that's unity. But then it says diversity because it's as the Spirit wills. He gives to each one, and then he makes a big deal. Not everybody prophesies, not everybody does this, not everybody does that. But everybody has a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. There's unity, and there is diversity. So I want to end with Philippians chapter 1. Just one more verse. Philippians chapter 1, well, one more little passage here. Philippians chapter 1 and, and verse 8. In Philippians 1, verse 8, it says, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The word affection is the word bowels, with the B-O-W-E-L-S, with the bowels of Christ Jesus. And it talks, what it means in the Greek back then, it means a love that you feel. Bowel movement doesn't mean that for us today, that phrase, does it? But that's what it meant for them, okay? And you still feel that on the inside. The butterflies, the oh that feeling on the inside. He says, I love you with the feelings of Christ Jesus. I really care about you. I, I, I just feel you on the inside of me. So it's real. He says, for God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. So this word where it says discernment in uh, verse 9, 
In, in the Greek, it's the word esthesis, esthesis, and it's where we get the word aesthetic. And if something has aesthetic beauty uh, or aesthetic appeal, that means exactly what I've already explained to you about beauty. That it's, it, it, it makes us feel on the inside that that is beautiful. There are things that make us feel when we first see them that that is hideous, that that is awful. And then our culture works over time to program our minds and reprogram our feelings so we start thinking, oh, that's beautiful. When the first time we looked at it, we thought that was hideous. It was awful. You know, if you've ever been, you know, modern art exhibit, and some modern art that's actually pretty good, but a lot of modern art, man, it's just laughable. And I'm just being honest with you. I went to this exhibit in Finland one time, and that stuff, I could, yeah, they had people doing stuff, and they were half naked, and I was like, gosh, geez, I can't even look at that. And that was called art. And then I went in this one room, and they had a stone, stone of granite, I think it was. It was about the size of this stage, and I'm not kidding. It was huge, and it had milk on it. And it had just the exact right last drop of milk so that it was covered at the edge, but it didn't go over the edge. Now, that's cool. And I'm standing there looking at it, and I'm thinking, that's cool. It's not art, probably, but it's cool. And all I wanted to do was just flip a penny in there and just mess it up. But it was actually cool. Everything else in the exhibit was just, just terrible. But how do you get to a place as a society where you think that's appealing? I mean, look at the movies today, the things that the language people use. And yeah, I'm getting used to it, too, and I hate it. In our seven years, when I came back to America, when I left America, people didn't talk like that in public. Now you go in the store, and they're bam, 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 and I'm already getting used to it. And I hate that I'm getting used to it. But that's how we get reprogrammed. But what really is happening is we're being perverted. We're being groomed, as they say. We're being changed to be used for a wrong purpose. And this says that Paul says, I have such an affection for you. I care for you with the feelings that Jesus Christ has. He says, I want your love to abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. And what I want to say to you is that as you are in the Word of God, as you follow Jesus Christ, the more you know Jesus and the more you love Jesus, the more your discernment grows. And the word discernment here means that you know the difference between junk and real art. That you know the difference between what God says is beautiful and what the world says is beautiful. And you're not going to go the way that this world goes. You know what the Jesus culture is. You know what is beautiful before God. You have the same feelings of aesthetic beauty that Jesus Christ has. And so it says that you begin then to approve things that are excellent. You don't want tar in your relationships anymore. Tar's bad. Remember that little Br'er Rabbit and that tar baby and those things? Tar's bad because you can't get unstuck from it. You don't want relationships that are just forced and made in this way, and it has to be this way, and it can never change. This is how it is. You want Because that's not living. A living re relationship are living stones. And real unity comes when we have real freedom in our relationships, in the love of Christ. 
And the only order that we have is the order of Jesus Christ. That everything is indecently and in His order. And it makes things beautiful. It makes a church beautiful. That different members of the body. And it's okay. It's not only okay, it's needed that you be the member of the body that Christ has called you to be. And that you walk in the manifestation of the Spirit that He's given to you. Instead of choking the life out of every single stone and saying, you need to be like this, you need to be like that, then I'm just a brick. I'm not a stone anymore. Because a stone is unique like a snowflake. There's no two exactly alike. They're all different, and they're all beautiful. And the longer you stare at them, ask Lisa, Lisa loves stones. The longer you stare at them, and the more you polish them up, the more you, so does Sam, so does Jerry, so, so do I, so does Tanya. We love stones, we're stones people. But the more you stare at them, the more you see in them. We got these beautiful stones, that they're not you know, worth a lot of money. I'll just pick out the different ones that are really special. I'll put them on this little white table in front of our house. If you ever come over to the house, go ahead and sit on that little table there. We have the same little table in the backyard. Sometimes I just sit out there and just look at them. Just pick them up, look at them. And every time I see something different in them. And they just make me feel happy. I don't know why. <laughs> just because God's in them. God created them. Don't you know that that's how we are to be with each other? That's how Jesus is with us. That the more we know him, the more the beauty grows. Because we become more and more like him. And his beauty grows in us. Because he is chosen. He is precious. And that's what leads us over to Philippians 4. Where it says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, verse 8. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Whatever is of good repute. If, if there is any excellence... And if anything worthy of praise, literally ponder on these things. Just pick them up and look at them and think about them. And if it's junk, throw it away. <laughs> ponder on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So ponder, practice, peace. It's God's alliteration in English anyway. As you ponder and as you practice, the peace of God grows on the inside of you. And you don't care what everybody thinks in the world. You know what's really beautiful. You know what's excellent. And you are one who deals in excellence. You remember there's a parable of Jesus? By the way, if I could have the worship team come on up here, we're going to receive communion together. There's this parable of Jesus um, where he talks about a, a merchant he deals in precious stones. And this merchant goes out and he finds a pearl of the greatest price, right? And so he has to sell every single thing he has so that he can get this pearl. Don't you think that before he bought that pearl, everything he had before he also thought was excellent? Because the only reason he found out everything he had before was junk was when he compared it to the pearl. When he found the pearl, his vision of beauty changed. He understood that everything I have, all these rubies, maybe diamonds, I don't know what the guy had. He's a merchant, he's got a lot of stuff. You know, shoes, shirts, whatever he was selling. Whatever was on his cart, he had to sell every, every bit of it. And then after he sold everything, 
He said, I still don't have the money. I got to sell the cart too. Sold the cart, sold the donkey, sold it all, everything to get that one single pearl because he knew this is the investment that changes my life forever. This is the investment that takes me to the next level. This is the one that makes me rich. And that's how it is when we find the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God is here in us. Let's stand together. I'm going to have the ministers come up who have been asked to serve this morning. Lord Jesus, you have said in your word, you spoke through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that if any person receives this bread or receives this cup in an unworthy manner, not discerning the body of Christ, then he is actually eating and drinking judgment unto himself. And that for that reason, many people in the Corinthian church had become sick and some of them had even died. Lord, I pray this morning as we come to receive that we would discern your body. That we would see the body of Christ, not as bricks, but as stones, and our relationships not as tar, but as living mortar. Lord, that we would, in other words, love each other with the bowels, with the affections of Christ. That we would feel what you feel, and desire what you de desire in our relationships, Lord, I pray. I ask that you'd forgive us, Lord, of our debt. I have so many debts. Even as we forgive those who are our debtors, who have sinned against us. Lord, we just purify our hearts before you right now by placing them in your hands. You said that all we have to do is come to Jesus, the living stone, and we come again to you this day, to your table, to receive this bread, and to receive this cup. And we bless this bread, we bless this cup now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even in your, oh God, eternity, we see that beauty and unity go hand in hand with diversity. It's somehow in a way that blows our minds. You are one, and yet you are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. So we glorify you, we praise you. I thank you that this one blood has been shed to forgive all of our sin. And this one body has been given to heal and to unite us all together as one. This is my body which has been broken for you. We do this today in your remembrance. We bless this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed so the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvinionfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.